how did she find it if it was taped inside your closet? The poster was taped, but the um, it was it was set up in the closet in a way where like it was covering a small ledge that was in the closet. So you'd have all the images um, on the ledge. So when the poster fell, my mom found all the stuff. Oh my god! It, it was my mom and my ritual to watch X Files together every new episode, and we <laughs> and we never watched a single episode again after that together. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, welcome to the Big Shiny Podcast. This is the inaugural episode of a podcast about the Big Shiny Tunes compilations. Uh, If you're Canadian, you'll know exactly what that is. And if you're not Canadian, you are in for a whole lot of nostalgia and information. Uh, My name is Chris Betts. I'm here with my co-host, Jordan Robson Kramer. Hello. Um, And uh, this is is, uh, an idea that we had for a podcast um, maybe like six, seven months ago. And I mean... We probably even had it uh, when we were kids and didn't even realize it, yeah, we, too. Pre-podcast ideas we were projecting in the yeah, future. Yeah, we were, we were moving towards this moment slowly over the decades. Well, yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was so integral to Canadian life that you couldn't avoid it there for a few years. It was, uh, yep. it was everything. I think, okay, before we get into that, let's just tell, tell the listeners who we are. Um, I am uh, Chris Betts. I'm a Canadian comedian. I live in London in the U.K., I uh, have done for a few years. I, I, I tour all over the world. Up until the lockdown, I, I didn't have any other job. Now I, now I just have no job. And so so I spent a lot of my time listening to old music, which has been great. Uh, Jordan, you want to tell them about yourself? Uh, my name is Jordan. I live in Montreal, and I'm a record store bozo uh, in the Mile End. And I play music um, in times where uh, the novel coronavirus doesn't exist. Um, but I still play it when it does, just uh, inside a uh, cramped, sweaty apartment with no listeners or no musicians in the room with me. It's a, it's a new way to make music. <laughs> it's a, I feel like this is perfect time for studio musicians. You know the bands that never wanted to play live? This, oh, totally. This is all they yeah. ever wanted. This is heaven for them. Oh, for sure. Like There's, there's um, songs that are going to be made during this time that'll be great. And inevitably, there will probably be um, an obscene amount of concept albums about coronavirus itself, which uh, I don't know who's going to do it first. But Yeah, that's fair. You know what's weird? My first thought was the Flaming Lips. I feel like isolation is doing such weird things to those guys. Yeah, no, and, and that's their whole thing now. They, like, they play to backing tracks, um, usually, uh, and go out in their big plastic balls which would protect you from the virus, they, actually. They're the safest so. band to see. <laughs> yeah, You're, they're actually pretty... They, yeah, they, they've they been set up for um, this kind of world. Yeah, but, right? uh, they're Zorbing, yeah. and then they have mascots on stage, so they've all got masks on. It's You've never been safer than at a Flaming Lips concert. <laughs> yeah, and at least, you know, you've got a lot of... Uh, you got a lot of space with social distancing. The crowd won't be quite as jam-packed, so you can really sort of breathe, you know? You're not going to feel overwhelmed by a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Well, until until that day, I guess uh, now's the time to look back into the past and perhaps the music that has influenced us or been part of our upbringings. That is an excellent segue. Well done, Jordan. Um, so so this uh, this podcast came about when um, yeah it was it was last winter in 2019. I was in Montreal visiting. I was over to do some shows from the UK. And I was staying at Jordan's house because he's a very good friend and lets me stay when I'm over. And we were high because that's legal in Canada. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we were drunk because that's fun everywhere. And I mean, you coming over generally like part part of the deal, too, is uh, that the exchange is you get to stay here for free because it gives me an excuse to drink more whiskey than I usually I am do. so happy to be an enabler. That is the easiest way for me to pay my rent <laughs> is to bring out my friend's vices. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> was the uh um yeah so we were, we were we were high and and we were drinking and uh we were just going back and forth and playing songs for each other that if it started out with songs that we were listening to at the time and we were sort of showcasing like oh, this is what i'm into and what do you think of this and and then that led mm -hmm. to making us think of other songs that we enjoyed and then gradually we sort of narrowed it down it wasn't until we were really drunk that we got nostalgically canadian and and just yeah. started reminiscing about big shiny tunes. I think I feel like it probably started with a collective soul song, perhaps even Matchbox. Oh yeah, or so something. yeah, something in that in that vein. Yeah. Something that I would <laughs> never listen to now, but just the joy of of reminiscing. No, we we somehow managed to go from uh, Kendrick Lamar to the Killjoys in like four steps. I don't know how that happened, but all of a sudden we were listening to big shiny it tunes, was, and it was beautiful. And uh, yeah, I think I think we made it through almost a whole album, and we were just talking shit and telling stories. And about halfway through, we were like, "Well, we should just record this because I think that sounds like a fun project." And now that it's locked down, there's really no reason not to. Yeah, this is the first idea I came up with. Uh, hi, that I've actually followed through with in <laughs> like maybe five years. So. And now, for for everyone listening, this isn't going to be like a, a a forensic breakdown of all the songs. We're not going to tell you what high school Biff Naked went to or name the three people that think Chad Kroger's a good guy. It's just... Everyone knows already. It's just going to be, uh, it's just gonna be us uh, going, going through the albums and uh, making fun of some of it, telling stories about things that it reminds us of, and just gradually, you know, just enjoying a nostalgic collection of music brought to us by the good people at Much Music and apparently Music Plus, but I don't think they had anything to do with this. All right, so um, let's go back. So Big Shiny Tunes, uh, for anyone who isn't Canadian, it was a compilation of uh, basically rock songs. Uh, Alt-rock, alt-rock Well, see, I was thinking about that. And does it count as alt-rock when it's the most popular genre at the time? Because I don't think that that counts as uh, like alt-rock. I think that the, the old rock became dad rock. And then the, yes, the alt-rock, okay. as soon as it became popular, just became rock. Do you, do you remember like what you were... Uh, into at that time as a kid i, I had a a, a very complicated uh, relationship with music um i uh the, i because i bought this on cassette it wasn't cd um <laughs> and it was the other cassettes that i was listening to in high rotation at the time were uh thriller by michael jackson yep um i loved uh and i'd gotten this years before but i still loved it was please hammer don't hurt him by mc hammer 
Great, great album. That's the one that has the cover of that Shy Light song, right? The Did You See Her? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That is a, <laughs> my goodness. That's that's what you get from owning a record store. <laughs> that's a deep That's patch. what happens. <laughs> <It's>, no, <laughs> you start to you start to know the samples on MC Hammer albums. <laughs> Oh, only later. <laughs> At the time, I just thought it was one of the funniest songs on that record for some reason. It is. That one, and um, did you ever listen to Coolio's like, album? Do, do you remember the one with, with Mrs. Jones on it? No, Remember that, that old song, like, Me and Mrs. Mrs. Jones? Like, it's an old, it's not Bobby Womack, but it's sort of of that era. And he's, he sort of, no. he samples it, and but he sings over it, and Coolio cannot hit those notes. It's fucking painful. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, you were into a lot of 90s, more mainstream hip-hop, but so it was, still... Yeah, so it was, it was sort of half that, but then also um, my, my brother and I went to this woman's house who sort of took care of kids before and after school, um, mm-hmm. and there was, there was probably about nine kids there, and because both my parents worked and they didn't want us to come home on our own, and I was like, my brother's three years younger than me, so I was 96, I was 12, so my brother was nine. And so, uh, so we go over to this lady's house and she had a son who was probably like four or five years older than me. Mm-hmm. And he introduced me to Pearl Jam and Tool right. and, uh, and the Tragically Hip. Uh, and so it was this weird combination of the stuff that I was drawn to from like a young age was really like sort of commercial, silly things. And then he showed me this whole new world of rock music that I hadn't come across. I think it was right around then that I started listening to 99.3 The Fox. It's kind of crazy because I, I think if you were to try and place yourself in the head of um, any uh, 11, 12 uh, preteen these days, it, it, it would just break your brain because like going that far back, it, it, it almost sounds like we're talking about a time when people like t- rode horses because you're the way that you found out about music was just so like the avenues were pretty simple and pretty basic. It was like, um, through the radio, much music itself. And maybe, uh, if you had some cool older cousin or friend or whatever, who would give you stuff, but, but yeah, I mean, something that I, um, was thinking about, um, leading up to, um, today was just like how, how so much of um um my identity and possibly like a lot a lot of our identities regarding music just were (laughs) kind of created by um these corporations and really you just almost had like five different identities that you could choose from i think in the 90s as a teenager in regards to music and and i think a lot of it is kind of laid out on um Big shiny tunes, at least where um, white suburban yeah. <laughs> Canada is well, that's, concerned. That's that's one thing that that I was that I was look. I was really curious to see because one thing that interests me about Big Shiny Tunes is a, it's all like I guess alt rock, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of songs that aren't hits on it. So like, for sure, like, even like down to the, the the Foo Fighters song, like Big Me, that was the big hit off that album, and that's not on yeah. here. They put on Alone and Easy Target. So it was they 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 whoever curated it picked the songs that they liked. And so I was actually, yeah. I was looking at, just out of curiosity, um, what the top singles of 1996 were in Canada. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at what they were in the States, just out of curiosity. And this, like, b- better than anything, I think shows the difference in how much the, the, the companies controlled the music that you could access back then. Because like you said, it was either the radio, much music, yeah. or you had like some, you were lucky and you had some gatekeeper 
like older mm-hmm. older cousin or older brother or sister who would just open these fucking doors for you and be like this is what music could be and yeah. so so like in in america here here are the top 10 like n- billboard hot 100 at the end of uh, mm-hmm. 1996 so uh number one macarena pow classic stone cold classic then it was uh one sweet day my by mariah carey and boys to men uh because you loved me by celine dion uh, nobody knows by the tony rich project who i don't remember I, oh that was a good that was a good r&b jam what was it i don't yeah. remember that at all um and then um always be my baby mariah carey give me one good reason by tracy chapman uh the crossroads by bone thugs and harmony which i loved i was really into that great song, song. that was yeah that was my jam their their flow is unparalleled so fast <laughs> the, 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 but but also the 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 sing rap style too right it's just yeah like, that's true I bet they were sort of predecessors to Drake in that way. Maybe. Um, probably not in their attitudes towards hanging out with uh, teenagers, but yeah. Well, we can hope. We can all hope. <laughs> um, uh, I, I Love You Always Forever by Donna Lewis. Remember that? And then there were two more. It was uh, You're Making Me High by Tony Braxton, which was a jam. Um, and then uh, Twisted by Keith Sweat. So that's like probably about 70% R&B, um, 10% Macarena. Yeah. But growing up in Victoria, um, listening to music would usually happen uh, in a car on the way to school, and the station was 100.3 The Q, The Islands Rock. I remember The Q. That, that was all right. Yeah. You'd listen to uh, Bachman-Turner Overdrive, just, you know, all the big, beefy boomer hits. Yeah, straight dad rock. Not the psychedelic ones, just the ones that are like, you know, you're... Um, working on the job and you just really need tunes that like get you stoked for uh, your sandwich that you're going to have at break time. Yeah, it's, it's, just... it's, it's the kind of it's the kind of music that um, you're you're on the job and then a song comes on and someone yells, turn it up. <laughs> it's, it's that vibe. And also there was a station in Seattle called 107.7 the end yeah i remember the end which i think was the first station at least like um on the dial (laughs) which sounds crazy to say um uh that was focused primarily just like on alt rock and on like it it wasn't classic rock it was more the the kind of um songs we're going to be getting into shortly that makes sense though because it was Um, seattle was coming out of the end of the grunge era and so that was like that was their scene so that would have been the biggest the biggest thing and, th- and this whole this whole era too i think it's like i don't know like looking back that the corporate stranglehold on white angsty dudes with guitars and stuff that already kind of peaked i guess probably by the end of nirvana or something and and so like every everything that was like um actually cool uh was um things that you mentioned on that top 10 list and and i think um growing up uh in victoria too like um the, the you know the the lead up to an artist like Eminem or something it was kind of you could really like feel it just like in um teenage kids too i think who were really like influenced by hip hop culture or at least what they figured it was based on um whatever they played on much music and stuff right yeah you know? with a uh, master t and he would he would give us all those hip hop yeah. classics but it was like just to just to give you an idea of how sheltered we were as kids musically here are the, mm-hmm. the, the Canadian top 10. So the other one was like mostly R&B songs. This one, uh, number one, You Learn by Alanis Morissette. Number two, Ironic by Alanis Morissette. <laughs> number, th- number three, Change the World by Eric Clapton. 
Oh, no. <laughs> Number four, Give Me One Reason by Tracy Chapman. That's on both. Uh, because You Love Me by Celine Dion. That's on both. Then Ahead by a Century by The Tragically Hip. Uh, Follow You Down by The Gin Blossoms. Man, yeah. do I ever not miss The Gin Blossoms. Uh, I don't even remember them. Oof, buddy, don't go back. Uh, Key West Intermezzo <laughs> by John Mellencamp. What? In, in, in between his cougar phase. Then uh, Missing <laughs> by Everything But The Girl. And then Head Over Feet by Alanis Morissette. That's what we were listening to in Canada at the time. So it's not a single R&B song. Um, uh, yeah, nine, I mean... Everyone's wow. white except for Tracy Chapman. They're all yeah. in the same range. Like, you could put all those songs next to each other and not guess which was which by the wavelength. Yeah, that sounds like most um, backyard barbecues in 1996. Yeah, it's but. all it's all just like just dudes with their sons in trucks. Um, and yeah. then mom's listening to, we called it Kiss FM in Vancouver, but yeah. I, I don't know what version you had, but that like, you know, the mom's radio. <laughs> and so like yeah. the, the, we were so held back in what we could access that, that, that shows to me just how fucked we were musically until like, we just didn't let black <laughs> people in. Like we were so fucking, we were farmers. You know, a big, a big part of it too is just, um, Canadians wanting their own sort of like piece of the culture pie or whatever, and just generally not producing great results and, and generally taking their cues from, um, you know, so other you were, countries. You were too. listening to, to dad rock and then this album came out. Did this album, like, did you love it or did you, did you own it? I, I don't I think I I bought it after Big Shiny Tunes too, but oh, wow. I was also at this point I was um, getting into um, I guess like more alt stuff that I was hearing from um, one hundred seven point seven the end and yeah I, I was full on into things like <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins, Lemonheads, um, just uh, things that, you know that I could try and teach myself on guitar pretty much so. Um, but I was also, yeah, um, you know, I think we also did live in this world where every time there was a uh, big shiny tunes that would come out, it's like, well, I got to get it because uh, I don't know why. It's but so, <laughs> I'm so jealous that you got the end because that was one of those radio stations that like, if I wanted to be able to tune into the end, my radio could only pick it up if I drove to like a certain part of town. So like... <laughs> And I'm you from, weren't driving age uh, until like, I was what, like ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't I didn't find out about I don't think I found out about the end until I was like seventeen. Oh wow, uh, okay. And so yeah, because it just it just didn't show up on our radio. Same with the Q. It wasn't until I was seventeen and we were driving that I found Q because I grew up in White Rock, which I mean that's closer I think than Victoria to Seattle, but we just didn't get it for some reason. Well, I, I just remember actually going to like a a birthday party once and. Um, one of the kids had found like a pirated copy of one of those porn movies that Snoop Dogg did oh, yeah. during this time. And it was just like playing, it was, it was just like playing in the background the whole time. I forgot, really I completely forgot about that era of hip hop where it was like <laughs> it, music slash porn. Where was, yeah. Have you ever seen that interview with Jay-Z where there are just two naked women going down on each other on the couch next to him? Um, what, what was that on CNN or what was it? It was, yeah, I think Larry King was doing it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of the most surreal things. And do you remember hip hop videos used to have that? There would be like the uncensored version 
Yeah, yeah, where totally. all of a sudden, all the women that have been in bikinis are naked now. Because this was still like a, in an era, I think, where um, pe- like people like our parents and stuff were, uh, some people were like really invested in like what their children were listening to and like the PMRC that Tipper Gore founded. Yeah. Uh, and, and so like, you know, like obviously like a lot of, um, hip hop culture want to push more against that. Cause why not? Like, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. But when it's 11, 12, 13 year old white kids in suburban yeah. BC getting into rap, that's yeah. where it yeah. starts getting it was, weird. It was an odd, it was an odd time. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when do you think was the last time before we decided to do this, that you listened to big shiny tunes? Probably not since 1998. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. Um, how about you? I think I listened. I listened to this album strong for a few years. Like I got it when it first came out. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. And um, to the point where I remember I got it, and then my brother wanted the second one, and I wanted the second one, and so we we got this deal where I think I was allowed to get all the odd numbered ones, and he got all the even numbered ones. <laughs> Wait, was this a deal you guys reached or your parents decided? I can't on? remember if mom and dad brokered it, but we agreed to it. We, 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 we got there in the end after what I'm sure was a big fight. Um, and uh, and it, it worked out in the end. But, uh, uh, but yeah. yeah, so like I had this, I listened to it on my yellow, like Sony Walkman, Indestructible. Um, I listened to it over and over and over again for like a few years. I'd say that the last time that I listened to this probably would have been like 99 so but I, I like about three solid years of if not listening to it all the time coming back to it because i i loved this album Let, chris if i can just interrupt you for a second did uh the tape player you have was it the one that would um flip it automatically you're damn right it was yeah i don't even know how that works it's kind of crazy because it just stays in the same side but it just uh that how does it work baffled me for absolutely years but in my mind there was like a weird almost like um like the 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 phone box in doctor who where (laughs) within it time and space didn't matter it would flip it found its own way (laughs) yeah and um but yeah yeah no i remember i remember feeling pretty cool with my uh uh, auto flip cassette player it was the best it was the best it it's and, and and what 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 year did you upgrade to a disc man cd player um that would have been uh what year did uh so much for the afterglow by everclear come out 90 98 i think then 98 because the first the first three cds that i got were so much for the afterglow um dude ranch by blink 182 and i think my own prison by creed wow yeah yeah i was in a real i was in a real white place (laughs) i i'm just imagining what that party would be like with all those uh, musicians in the same room with each other (laughs) they'd be pretty sweaty just be like why this guy keeps talking about god a lot yeah (laughs) i think we'd all ostracize scott stapp i think that's the one thing that we'd all have in common i'd be so i'd be so interested in tom delange explaining more about aliens after he outed that (laughs) That alien video, and the Navy had to be like, no, 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 the guy from Blink-182 is right. Those are UFOs. If only there was some, like, podcast somewhere where some hosts allowed any whack job on to uh, expose their crazy views. I know, it's almost almost like there's none of them. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when when you re-listen to this for the first time Mm -hmm. in, what, it's 2020 now, so that's 22 years. Yeah, 22 years. What was what what was the impression that you got of the album as a whole? 
I think it it's it felt very conflicted. Um, I, I think this was still in an era where a lot of like the music industry within Canada was still Vancouver based. Say say you were to get this as like a mixtape from a friend, mm. uh, it would just kind of be like, wow, this has no tact or flow yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> well, it it seems like the uh, whole concept was already in it uh, in this first one, which is just like we don't really care about aesthetics where a company that is um, trying to sell this because we get a percentage of the licensing fees, but also uh, a lot of these bands will play festivals throughout Canada in the coming years that we will curate and we will have these bands that are on Big Shiny Tunes play at oh, these see, festivals. I, that's too. A, I, so I, it, I don't get such a cynical <laughs> take off it. Like I, I picture... Don't you remember Snow Job? <laughs> Who could forget Snow Job? The so subtly named music festival at sun peaks <laughs> fucking canada um so it's um there was like to me this this album especially because it's mm-hmm. this is the least commercial big shiny tunes of all of them when you when you look at the track listings they gradually sort of start to align themselves more with the charts with every passing year whereas yeah. like this one feels like a stubborn man <laughs> who is like like a like you know those old guys who are still college DJs? I picture that guy who was just like, these are the songs that are going on. I love Poe. Poe is getting on this album. I don't care that no one's heard of her. It's on this. And it feels like he picked every song on this and had to make maybe a few like uh, uh, concessions. He was like, F- uh, how about this? You let me put on Tahitian Moon by Porno for Pyros and I'll include Bush. But so you are a you've been a professional musician a few times in your life. Um, it, if professional musician counts uh, when you get a um, ten dollar deposit by SoCan uh, once a year, yes. But you 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 know you toured you toured around around the world and and you made you made your living off music for a couple years, right? For sure, uh, the first half of my twenties was spent uh, in that world for sure. Yeah, which is like, which is incredible. So I don't know anything about music. I'm currently learning guitar, and my my uh, uh, my neighbor is begging me not to. Uh, that's how I mean. That's how my music knowledge. You is should going. probably learn another song than Wonderwall, but that might help. What other song is there? Everything leads back to Wonderwall, whether it's Prince. <laughs> it really does. Or the Eagles. It all leads back to Wonderwall. <laughs> um, but so musically, I I listened to some of these songs, and I realized the amount of bullshit mm-hmm. that you can get away with if there's music playing behind whatever you're singing and i can't think of a better segue into the first song on the album one more astronaut by i mother earth that is in the same way that uh you know led zeppelin begat aerosmith uh i mother earth begat our lady peace Oh, that's a sad. That's a sad indictment. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, what, what else can you say? It's like if if you read the lyrics on paper, it's it comes across as like a 18 year old's um, poetry on acid, which maybe maybe it was. Like I don't know. Like there's. But it's it's even no to me. It's even worse than that because I think I Mother Earth was a very cynical band. I think in the way that Sloan feels like a band that just was doing it and then got famous. I Mother yeah. Earth feels like they had a goal. Yeah. And that goal was to be a watered-down Stone Temple Pilots. Right. And to the point where even the music video for uh, One More Astronaut basically is like almost shot for shot a Stone Temple Pilots music video. I remember watching two of them side by side, and they're a clear, like, they just stole it. 
And so it, to me, it feels like I can't remember who. What was the name of the singer from I'm on the Earth? He went solo for a while. Um, and sang Edwin. Edwin something. Yeah. And um, I feel like he wrote his lyrics to try to sound like he was a heroin addict. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. But, I mean, but he's just like a loser. <laughs> Yeah, I, but but if you like, uh, if you watch live performances of them, he is clearly somebody who uh, just probably liked to get to Whistler when he could snowboard. Right. Like, there's nothing actually um, authentically tragic seeming or edgy about him. He's like, he's just kind of like, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had like a career in. Um, like some small roles in TV or something before. Like he looked like somebody who transitioned from being on some agencies like model list for whatever yeah. to fronting a band. Um, I don't think he actually wrote any of the lyrics, I guess in his defense, but um, the kind of pseudo spirituality, it's, it's weird. It's like pseudo angst spirituality. Like, the, and, and like, I think a lot of um, the nineties, like really, uh, doubled down on that by 1995 or something like after <laughs> Kurt Cobain died. Um, um, anyways, I, 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 it's, it'd be fascinating to know like what, um, yeah, who, who was, I guess, responsible for putting this together. There's a firm line in the sand where it's just like, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, great songs on here, but we're going to start with one more astronaut. To be fair, I love I loved at the time. I like I loved one more astronaut. Oh yeah, it's, to- when it it's came totally out. catchy. It's a catchy. It's a catchy jam. Um, and I totally I I think the music video might cut out the whole instrumental uh, middle too. Like yeah, the, yeah, definitely. Yeah. They would have cut it down to three minutes. There's no way. I mean, much music did a lot of stuff, but there's no fucking way it did that. Yeah, that was it. Here's a, a quick question. Yes, I've listened to the song uh, three times now in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. No idea. Mm-hmm. Who is the astronaut? Okay, you ready? Yeah. I think he's talking about himself. No. Yeah, man. I mean, think about it. It's 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 a it's a song. What are astronauts? They're basically looking at the universe, but from the inside, because you know you can't can't take your. Uh. So it's like it's like a metaphor for like seeing the world pass you wow. by, but like just not being able to get outside of your own head. Oh, you're out here on Spaceship Earth, you know, just flying <laughs> through the cosmos. <laughs> um, Such yeah, it's, pretentious it's, it's a pretty nonsense. ham-fisted song. Like, I, I, yeah. I, even listening to it, I can't really divine much meaning from the lyrics. And I, you know what? To be honest, like, I'm not somebody who ever really paid much attention to um, lyrics in 90s music anyways. It's just kind of mm. like, it's just sort of there. And if the person sounds, like, pissed off or... Uh, upset enough it usually just kind of you can kind of sell any bad line but um. yeah yeah that's that's depressingly true uh, <laughs> which i think brings us to the to track number two machine head by bush but not in canada it was bush x yeah because there was another band called bush and they oh, sued I thought it was them because of the, so, the the beer oh no that would have been no that's a uh, anheuser bush is uh with an uh sch oh question if Gavin Rosdale um, looked like uh, uh, Louis Anderson, would this song <laughs> would this song have been as big? Could, That's, the most he was probably beautiful. one of the most handsome men of all the '90s. I remember a, a Rolling Stone cover came out when um, that first album came out. Was it Razorblade Suitcase? 
and uh, which I owned on cassette, and I listened to constantly. I loved that album so much yeah. that like we would, I would put it on when um, when my brother and I were washing dishes, and we would always like air guitar and headbang <laughs> to to Machine Head, yeah, and probably other songs that I can't remember anymore. But um, I remember Rolling Stone had this cover that said it was like a picture of Gavin Rossdale, and then it said, uh, "Don't hate them because he's beautiful." <laughs> I was like, "That's how handsome he was." That <laughs> it was like. It was national news that people hated his band because of how hot he was. Yeah, you know, it's like there was there was something kind of uh, the Hugh Grant of alt rock, I guess is how I would describe him. Yeah, I, I get that. Without the um, um, the 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 frustrating inability to make decisions, he seemed like a much more <laughs> together person than any yeah, Hugh just, Grant character. Yeah, well, uh, you, I'm sorry, but uh, if if it's all right, um, I, I'd uh, I'd ask if you might uh, breathe in, and then after that, uh, breathe out, uh, perhaps. <laughs> my uh, 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 my wife and I watched Four Weddings and a Funeral the other day, which I don't recommend. I hated that movie. I really, it drove me fucking nuts. But he's, Every- uh, he's, he's just so charming, Chris. It's uh, it's it's a way of talking that you. Um, take your time getting to the point because it's the polite thing to do. There was it was infuriating. It's a it's a disease. What he is. <laughs> I've liked him in things since. I thought he was great in Paddington too, but I could not stand that that mid nineties Hugh Grant nonsense. I, I understand. I understand. Um, so yes. Uh, so surprising then that you liked uh, Bush X because uh, he he almost had all the recipes of things you hate. But I never heard him speak. I think that was the key. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He just he just rocked out. And yeah. They were like, <laughs> I remember a uh, uh, was it the video for Swallowed where it had like a, f- a fly moving creepily in that early '90s music video, sort of Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, yeah. Way it was like yeah. stu- Great stuck stuff. in syrup and then like on a dirty factory floor or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's it re, it's it's funny looking back because I remember when I was a kid I thought that the '80s had aged really poorly and everything looked ridiculous and now looking back the '80s seems like kind of cool and interesting and the '90s is just a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, on to uh, Tahitian Moon. Yeah, porno for pyros. I'm curious how you felt feel about this song. This was. When it came out, it was one of my favorite songs on the album. I loved it, and now I'm at a point where I don't love it anymore, but I respect it. Yes. It's a really interesting thing. It's not like any other song on the album. It's not like any song that I remember hearing. And the melody on the chorus is like really beautiful and disarming, and and then it's chaos. Yeah. It's a a one-two punch of uh, extremes. Um, And yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising, too, because... Perry Farrell uh, was in Jane's Addiction. Was that Perry Farrell? Yeah, yeah. Th- this was the band he started after Jane's Addiction. So um, no way, I, d- I had no idea. Yeah, and I mean, like at this point too, he was probably like in his late thirties. So it was kind of yeah. Oh Jesus! Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it that that song uh, it, it holds up pretty well. I'd say it's not it, it's it's so far the least dated sounding out of the three we've covered so far. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would agree with that. Other than that, it didn't didn't leave much of a an impact other than just being like cool and weirdly has not made me ever um go to tahiti to swim under a moon there but i've always wanted to (laughs) i know what i know what i'll listen to when i get there and it probably won't be that song because the rest of it will freak everyone out it feels like i guess maybe it was about like heroin where it's like the chorus is when he's on heroin and everything's beautiful and breezy and then the rest of it is when he's looking for heroin i mean 
you may not be far off. You may not be far off. Um, so the, ne- the next song was uh, Queer by Garbage, which I think is actually one of the few songs that I, I think kind of holds up. And if it was released today, it would still be kind of a hit mm-hmm. because it's it's just sort of a, um, it's low key. It's very sexy. Um, I had a I had a friend who was kind of a gross guy, but always made me laugh. And he judged a lot of his music as to whether he could see someone stripping to it. And so he he's one of the guys who sits in my mind sometimes when I listen to music, and this is absolutely one of those tracks. I'm sure that was played in a strip club in the 90s at least once, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it was. Uh, there was a whole set piece to it. Three songs out of, uh, I don't know how many, 18 that uh, have women on this. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, Marilyn Manson, you know, a bit of both. Oh, yes. Um, oh, actually, no, this was in his, like, dark carnival phase. This was... yeah. This was before the, uh, the creatures. I, I, I hate this song so much. <laughs> do I, you, you do you mean you mean Sweet Dreams, not queer, yes. or you hate queer? I I, I hate uh, I hate Sweet Dreams. I hate um, Sweet Dreams. I want okay because I, I want to hear about that because it was baffling to me that it was a huge hit, and I loved it when it came out. I actually do like some Marilyn Manson songs. I, I actually like um like Dope Show and the album he did. Um, kind of like after where it got a bit more glammy, but um, I think uh, Big Shiny Tunes, uh, I mean, the song might not have been out by then, but they missed a big chance not putting on Marilyn Manson's cover of Screaming Jay Hawkins' I Put a Spell on You, which follows the exact same formula as this. They kind of keep it creepy and subdued and then it explodes, but it's, yeah, it's uh, it's more effective in that song as a cover, in my opinion, but... Um, yeah, that is also it's it's so depressing. I've got a um I've got a nephew who's twelve and he's such a I love him so much. He's such a cool kid, but he I asked him I was like, what are you listening to? Like, what's what's good music right now? I'm on the lookout for stuff, and he recommended this one band. I can't remember what it was called, but I remember listening to it and being like, this is terrible objectively. Uh, <laughs> and, but it's exactly the kind of terrible I would have loved when I was twelve, and so I just, yeah. I didn't say anything to him. I just I just laughed. Do you remember the two? Um... Uh, rumors about him in the 90s like the two kind of like uh the Marilyn uh, Manson what, what, ones uh, yeah there's the ribs he was gonna take his ribs out so he yeah, could yeah. Do you remember himself? the other one no the other one is that he was a child actor who because this was before oh, the internet yeah. but that he was Paul from the Wonder, <laughs> from the Wonder Years. Years yeah <laughs> I, be- I believed that for a little while how like how that that's like that's a real life meme like some everybody <laughs> talked about that but like who start like how did that even become a thing and it's probably just like some buddy pointed it out that they kind of maybe looked like i don't know but the way but the way that it spread like around because you know you and i lived hours away from each other we're still in the same corner of canada but it was the fact that i i heard that and that was before i had internet in my house in any meaningful way and so it was it was uh it was just word of mouth (laughs) canada was just so boring that like that's what people would talk about to fill space and it would just get passed around did you know that marilyn manson was that kid from the wonder years no what (laughs) get me a picture of paul man um okay so the next the next track was scooby snacks uh, by fun lemon criminals to go from marilyn manson's (laughs) sweet dreams to scooby snacks by fun loving criminals that song legitimately the hook in it made me smile like really big yeah, smiles that's a feel-good tune in, in a weird way i almost felt um 
you know, I, I was like, oh God, uh, Scooby Snacks is coming on. I hate this song. It's like, this is just like a dumb song. It's like Quentin Tarantino uh, glorification. But it, it, it weirdly, um, because of every aesthetic in that song, it is somehow like the most 90s song on that record because it's kind right? of... Right, it feels like a time capsule. That's part of what I love about Scooby Snacks is it's like... Is like when when he when he says um, Stevie's driving because I had to talk to my man, and then he goes on the phone, and it's the scene in Reservoir Dogs right before he cuts that guy's ear off. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's so absurd that it's like it's this weird sort of crime Tarantino esque fantasy that they go on, but because mm-hmm. it's so upbeat and it's so ludicrous, like every part of that story is stupid. <laughs> you go, and then the addition that like. Like between the robbery and the escape and everything, it's all blown out of proportion like a Tarantino movie. It's fully an ode. But then also that it's it's the the most important well, thing is that they're on Scooby Snacks. Makes Well, so these guys were from New York City and I I didn't read much about them, but I um my conspiracy with this song is that they were actually all studying um avant-garde dada in in like at nyu or something and they just decided to form a band Uh and that the whole song it whittles down what quentin tarantino was just about yeah like if if you had to describe quentin tarantino's movies in like you know one sentence i think you would say yeah his movies are running around robbing banks all whacked on the scooby snacks yeah and then the girl the girl that you robbed gave you a wink (laughs) (laughs) yep um then we have just a girl by no doubt Thoughts. Loved it. Had Tragic Kingdom the year it came out. One of my favorites. Um, probably the only song on this compilation to feature a keyboard <laughs> parts too. Not not the best No Doubt song, but uh, yeah. I mean, I I mean, you know, the older I get and the more I look back at some of this '90s music, I kind of um, feel like I appreciate more the people who just seem like they were having fun doing it. Yeah, it makes it, it really comes through in the music because there, there are a few bands on here where it's like, you are capitalizing on a moment right now. And then there are other yeah. ones where it's like, oh, you're making music. That's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I had Tragic Kingdom on tape when it came out. Uh, loved most of it. Um, got a full-size poster of the album cover that I had in my closet, which in the coming years became... Uh, my secret hiding spot for uh, pornography that um, a kid who I'm not going to name would sell to me at the school for $5, a printout. Wow. (laughs) $5 an image? Yeah. I was really into X-Files at the time, and he was like, you know what, I I can get you naked pictures of Gillian Anderson. And I'm... Oh, those those terribly photoshopped ones? Yeah, and I think... I I don't think he even found them online. I think he did them himself, because it was almost (laughs) like... You know how, like, Saddam Hussein looked in the South Park movie? Yeah. It kind of looked like that. Great. Like, just, like, the, the head was, like, totally at the wrong angle for, like the shape the position that the body was posing in yeah anyways and um then one day the poster's tape fell down and uh my mom found my entire stash of uh printed out um x-files uh fan erotic images and how uh how did she find it if it was taped inside your closet the poster was taped, but the um, it was it was set up in the closet in a way where like it was covering a small ledge that was in the closet, so you'd have all the images um, on the ledge. So when the poster fell, my mom found all the stuff. Oh my god! It, it was my mom and my ritual to watch X Files together every new episode, and we <laughs> and we never watched a single episode again after that together. <laughs> So, 
You had a Shawshank Redemption porn collection. <laughs> yeah, but like a, a version of Shawshank where he burrows right into um, the, the warden's office or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the, um, what was it called? The documentary about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. No, not yet. How is it? The, some, the something ones. I can't remember what, that middle word. But there's a there's a great in one of the episodes with Jimmy Iovine where he's he's talking about all the uh, different bands that he that he took on. Um, he had no doubt they were one of his acts. Okay. And there's there's a really cool interview with Gwen Stefani where she's saying like he signed us and he said you've got something special you just need to write a hit. Hmm. And and she was like okay and so she's like she'd write a song and she'd bring it to him and go no and she'd write a song and she'd bring it to him and this went on for in my mind three years. Wow. Okay. And where they just kept bringing him songs, and he was like, "Nope, not yet." And they would, you know, when you like, you write something, and you're like, "This is the best thing I've ever done. This is yeah, awesome." Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. they showed to him, and he go, "No, no, no, no. This is this is nothing." And then, um, and then finally they got it. And he had said, I think when they met, he's like, "You are going to be a superstar in like five years." That was what he told her. And then, like five years on the dot, Tragic Kingdom came out. Yeah, to me, it seems like a very um, I'm successful because I'm great. And, like, I have all these sort of, like, uh, proofs of my greatness. And so, like, everything I should touch, everything I touch should turn to gold. Like, I, I just wonder if there's, like, a, you know, Netflix special about just, like, Jimmy Iovine, the people whose promises didn't get fulfilled. Just that like, would be great. I would watch the <laughs> hell out of that. His misses? <laughs> it's just like... Some guy with a guitar? Jimmy Iovine totally. promised me the world. <laughs> Fuck you, Jimmy Iovine. <laughs> yeah. What's the next one? Aeroplane by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, Nick Cave has a famous quote uh, where he says, every time I turn on the radio, there's some bullshit playing. And when I find out what it is, it's always Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, is, which is a pretty great quote. And I really like Nick Cave. That's a great quote. Um, but yeah. I really like this song. I, uh, I just, I, this song, I love and hate this song. Like I, I hate huge parts of it, but I can't help but tap my feet to it and enjoy what, what, it. What part do you hate? The one, that, the part where it's like sitting in my kitchen. <laughs> I hate um, all of the lyrics, every single word. Um, it feels like uh, it feels like he is being honestly what uh, I Mother Earth was faking. That's what we're talking about. Is like a real drug addict singing nonsense in a way that is entertaining. He has this sort of like caveman gene or something about him. You know what I mean? Like he's always shirtless. His dick's always hanging out. Um, and like, like, yeah, he's probably like good for a roll in the hay. But um, I, I, I actually... Who says that? Jesus. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I remember actually, I remember like just like killing time waiting for laundry um, when I was house sitting uh, for a friend. And he actually had like a copy of... Uh, scar tissue anthony keith's autobiography oh, yeah. and there's this yeah. quote in this that quote in this that i think like when my brain releases all the um dimethyltryptamine on my deathbed and i'm like going through all the memories of my life i think this might be in there just because it, it haunts me so much um but there's a passage in the book where he talks about uh in the 90s trying to court sinead o'connor um oh man and 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 i guess like sinead was living in la at the time and um, like he, he was basically, yeah, he wanted to 
girlfriend her wife her as they say and it's like and and he's like Sinead was like always she was a very interesting woman like we we wouldn't do the typical date things we'd go out uh to museums and uh, she really made me appreciate art and that's I, this may not be verbatim but I think he follows that up by saying um it almost made me want to get into her upstairs as much as her downstairs <laughs> that feels like a very Anthony Kiedis line like to to me anthony kiedis is his character in point break i i remember his moment in the movie better than any other point in that movie because it's so absurd it's so it's like um keanu reeves has just started surfing and he's trying to investigate these surfing bank robbers and um i guess he got he he cut someone off on a wave and they were very mad at him and so his 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 board breaks. The guy breaks his. Uh, oh no! It, um, he cuts off the uh, the lead to the board, so the board sort of floats in uh, back to shore. And Keanu swims in, and he he gets it, and he's like defeated, and he sort of goes to take a shower to wash off all the salt water. And then all these bad surfers show up to fight him, and they're sort of talking to him at first, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's a it's a local beach. You know, I I, I got to get out of here. You're gonna tell me that uh, you're gonna tell me to fuck off." And, um, and then Anthony Kiedis, in his most Anthony Kiedis, limbs everywhere, just goes... Shirtless? Oh, totally shirtless, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it goes, uh, that would be a waste of time. <laughs> um, you can't see this, uh, listeners, but um, there is a very emphatic hand gesture that went along with that impression, if you haven't seen Point Break, which... Um, so he's basically just... Do, He's red hot chili peppering the he's, movie. He's like, but it's like even more so. Like, it's like he's Anthony <laughs> Kiedis and John Frusciante at the same time. I know. This is where you tell me all about how locals rule and yuppie insects like me shouldn't be surfing the break and all that, right? <laughs> nope. That would be a waste of time. <laughs> Okay, that might be the cover image of this uh, uh, episode. <laughs> it was uh, it was baffling, and honestly, I think well, I, th- I think I might be unfair to Red Hot Chili Peppers because um, when I was in Montreal, no, 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 no. They, 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 they're not the underdogs here. They, they're fun. But I, but I feel bad. I think it's because I told you um, when I started doing stand up, I rented um, like a re- uh, rehearsal studio for bands just so I could get used to using microphones, right? And so, yeah. um, so I was just in there, just sort of just talking out loud, saying some of my jokes, but just getting used to how to hold it, where it sounds uh, through the speakers and everything. And then in the three rooms around my room, so all but one wall, coming through were Red Hot Chili Peppers cover songs. I was surrounded on all sides by terrible chili peppers cover bands and i i honestly never recovered um, when you go further back uh i don't know there's some kind of fun jams and i can't really fault them for having fun because they're f- they know they're ridiculous yeah no i'll, I'll give you that I, I can get on board with that yeah uh so the, the next song is uh the good and everyone by sloan sloan is one of those bands that um makes me really happy about canadian content rules what do you mean just just because, like, so if anyone that's listening isn't from Canada, there's um, a certain amount of everything that is put out on media, uh, like whether it's radio or TV, that has to be Canadian content. And so right. a lot of bands break through just in Canada as a result of this. Um, and I think Sloan is one of them, where Sloan is like a feel-good band. Um, they're all talented. You can't deny that it's a good time. Um, and I don't think they would have necessarily gotten a break without the Canadian content rules. And it just it just feels like a they feel so much like a local boy done good 
kind of vibe where there's nothing flashy about any of them. None of them have like, I couldn't name any of them. I couldn't pick any of them out of a lineup. There's no star quality there. They're just like, they just seem like nice guys who play music that I enjoy. And they would have fallen into the background of any like sort of more high stakes competitive uh, music industry. If, if Tragically Hip were CCR, Sloan would be <laughs> like the Kinks or something. I don't know. No, because the, the, kink, the Kinks were still pretty cool. I don't think Sloan was ever cool. Because they, their coolness is from the fact that they weren't actually that cool ever. Like they kind of look like nerds. The the kind of aesthetic they represent is like they're, they're actually, you know, the music they listened to wasn't any of this uh, kind of like um, alt-rock garbage that was... Uh, just omnipresent everywhere they were probably they were into like actual 60s music and like i, I don't know like I, yeah, yeah. I i appreciate the song craft of sloan um i think more than most of uh the bands on this record like i'd say if you need to uh take songwriting lessons uh kids listen to sloan's first three albums and that is that is high that is high praise i mean i gotta say i remember seeing them at um the calgary stampede because my older um half sister lives in calgary and so when i was in high school we go out for Stampede, my brother and I, and they always have these free concerts that are sort of right in the middle of it. And I remember I saw, um, yeah, I saw Sloan, and they were great. They put on an awesome show. I saw Widemouth yeah. Mason, who, um, oh. uh, my, my, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we're gonna get to them. I think we're gonna get to them. I think they're They've, on one of the comps. I, yeah, I think I think they might be on three or four. Um, oh, I, I saw I saw Nickelback twice. Once before they were famous, and once when they were famous. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell those stories when Nickelback comes up. <laughs> We're on to uh, uh, The King of New Orleans. I listened to it three times. It's by Better Than Ezra. And it literally, yeah. it played and I zoned out the whole time. I have no feelings about this song. Yeah, I mean, it's not worth hating because it's just, it's not that bad or good. It's yeah. just, it's just kind of, it's like wallpaper. Yeah, they felt, they felt like a band that just happened to get their timing right. And they snuck in with a, with a hit. That was it. I got, I got nothing out of them. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of the worst thing you can say about any band. I'm sorry. It's like, yeah, like to, to actually hate something is like that's a that's an emotional reaction. Yeah, but to actually just be like, eh, like I, I would, yeah. like there's nothing you know as a comedian and like as a musician, there's nothing worse than like somebody like just like having a feeling that like the reaction to something you did was just kind of apathetic or not even yeah, really like nonplussed is the most hurtful thing to leave people feeling. <laughs> I feel like there's something within the um, alt-rock grunge aesthetic of the song that's watered down to the extent that it, it almost feels like the prototype for most Christian uh, rock radio. Yeah, there's some... I mean, the, the second half really feels like he was doing someone favors because yeah. there's, there's a lot of stuff on here that I don't like. Like maybe, yeah, like... Um, uh, <laughs> Maybe Limb Lifter was like to better than Ezra what what Sparta was to at the drive in. That's just an apt comparison, yeah. <laughs> just tried to cash in and went like, nah, I don't think I don't think this is very good, but we'll we'll make some money off this. Don't worry about it. There's so much music. <laughs> much music. There's so much music out there that's just kind of like eh. Like it's not yeah. it's not hateable. It serves a function, but it's not um, or if, if you're a member of Limb Lifter and you want to defend yourself on the podcast. And then, yeah, and then you have, like, um, a song which, like, hearing these two songs back to back, I was kind of struck by, like, wow, uh, it seems like they went for a bit of a, they just put these two songs together because they're kind of oddly similar. Um, not, not not exactly the melodies or anything, but just more, uh, I don't know, the, the vibe of it. Um, 
yeah, this isn't by any means the best Foo Fighter song um, on that first album. Yeah, yeah, Alone and Easy Target. Yeah, I I think that it's it's an interesting choice because it feels like compared to the other songs that I heard, I never heard the full album. I just heard yeah. the, the singles and a couple cuts. But this feels like it was a taste of what the Foo Fighters would become more than the other songs that I heard. So it a feels bit, like yeah. it feels weirdly prescient of a of, of a song to choose by the Foo Fighters. Well, so, well, something that I actually think was kind of interesting is just like you have this whole um, the whole scope of like corporatized grunge like in the wake of you know seattle and just whatever like early um alternative culture in in the late 80s and 90s that um got so glossy and polished like so if, mm. if you actually listen to um uh alone and easy target next to um one more astronaut by mother earth like yeah. i mother earth sounds like it costs like fifty thousand dollars to record whereas dave Grohl recorded that first foo fighters album uh, setting up some mics just himself like and and you know in in some ways that's why it's kind of a great album because it was just sort of done with this passion and fun and dedication and it wasn't really thought about too much whereas like every other thing that's kind of in the this vein of alt rock just started getting so glossy and so like produced it was i was actually i was reading up on it and it said that uh originally because obviously uh for anyone that's younger that might be listening dave Grohl was in nirvana he was the drummer and yeah. <laughs> i feel like there's a lot of kids that do not oh, know for sure um, for sure it, uh and so i would say uh, so when uh, when kurt cobain accidentally died uh he um alleged he, suicide alleged suicide um i'm looking at you rip torn uh <laughs> <laughs> not enough people know that Riptorn killed Kurt Cobain. So it, the proof is out there, sheeple. Uh, <laughs> I would say that. So, uh, so, so what happened was apparently um, he was going to start this band with Chris Novoselic, uh, who's the other member of Nirvana, and they decided against it, not because they they didn't think they'd enjoy themselves, but because no one would be able to break into their relationship. So, like, anyone that came into the band would be immediately an outsider because they're so close yeah. to touring for so long. And also, it would bring a level of pressure to the album that he didn't want if it was yeah. the two remaining members of Nirvana. He just wanted to make a thing and just see what happened. And he thought that just being the drummer, people would be like, whatever, man, he's just the drummer, no one cares. And he was right. Yeah. It's too bad that um, the song didn't do anything for them and that they, uh, the Foo Fighters... Um, slowly uh faded into obscurity after yeah it's a this. real shame r.i.p foo fighter which by by the way another um uh, another fun fact about the foo fighters it's a uh, it's what allied pilots called ufos during the second world war these are fun facts um, isn't that a fun fact such a stupid name for ufos yeah i, I it almost sounds racist somehow even though yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can't tell you which race but someone's getting offended something's wrong with that I don't know whose feelings were hurting, but that's what they were trying to do. The first thing to come after first contact will be a slur. That's <laughs> yeah. people are the worst. Um, okay, do you have anything else on uh, Foo Fighters or? Nope. Cool. Uh, so now we're on to Just by Radiohead. Moist, actually. Oh fuck, that's right. Gotcha. All right. So um, I re I remember Moist. I remember it being very emotional. Very emotional maybe I'll just mention this, which was, I was actually a little bit worried about having to talk about this because, um, I, yeah, I grew up, you know, 
seeing Moist on Much Music and life, sometimes um, life surprises you. And I never would have thought that the lead singer of Moist, David Usher, would just be a guy I see walking on the street or occasionally at my friend's Christmas party. Um, he's a nice guy. And uh, I have nothing to say about his band. All right. So we'll, we'll, call, we'll call that on Moist. Um... So now we're on uh, Just by Radiohead, which surprised me because, and this is, this sounds stupid, and I felt stupid when I thought it, and it is stupid, but I forgot that Radiohead used to be a rock band. One of the best music videos, in my opinion, though, of the 90s. That that video is haunting. Do you remember? Which which one's this? So they're they're playing like in like the seventh story of like some loft or something and uh, it keeps like going down to the street and there's like this man who's decided to lie down on the sidewalk yes. do you remember that yes that's one of my favorite music videos that yeah, is so an incredible it, video great video so like e- yeah. even even if the song um is kind of more just by the numbers um from what you expect from radiohead the video was at least like there was still a kind of an inkling of like oh like yeah this band's kind of fucked up or like you know what I mean? yeah. they, didn't, and- they didn't really go for like the let's like Back, let, let's let's sit in chairs in unnatural ways, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll have we'll have women sort of mysteriously in the background, and there will be there will be a shot of us playing in like a cool warehouse. Yeah, and, and then an old man with a cane shows up and break dances. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's the bends, so you just gotta wait. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It was it was a formational album, and so like I'm I'm glad it's out there, but I don't think I'll ever go back and listen to the bends. Yeah. Um, so the next song is Angry Johnny by Poe. Uh, I just straight up didn't like this. And to me, the funniest part about this song is that I think they um, hired somebody to do the mix for them. And the person, like, I, I think they were maybe using an early version of computer mixing, like something like Radar, because they raised the vocals of the entire song halfway through. I don't know if you noticed that. No. The vocals um, in the last minute or so of the song go up like 10 dBs. <laughs> yeah, some mixing engineer fucked up and then doubled down on his mistake. <laughs> there's, a, there's another song that Poe made, and I can't remember what it was, but I remember really enjoying it, which I think I, think I confused it with this song. And so I was double disappointed when I heard what this was because Poe is there's some, I can't I wish I could remember what the song was. But years ago, I came across something and I was like, oh, this is this is awesome. And then this Angry Johnny song is so pointless. But this feels like karaoke Portishead. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's before. I think it's before. Maybe. I, oh, wow. I don't know. Well, I guess, I mean, then it's formational Portishead, and that's impressive in its own way, but I still don't like it. Like, it's like the kind of thing you would hear walking into, like, um, some coffee house in the 90s. Yeah, I think that's part of what bothered me about it, is it reminded me of songs that would play on the radio station that my mom listened to that she would refuse to change the channel during. Like, she would have uh, maybe enjoyed this when I was younger. She ended up having, like, awesome music taste in the end, but it was, uh, yeah, back back then it was all just... Oh God, it was also bad. And so, yeah, I think I, I, I identify it with like really painful drives to school. Uh, anyway, so the next one is uh, Rave and Drool by the Killjoys. You got any got any thoughts on these guys? It, it I, I'm trying to remember how it goes from listening to it. And I kind of do. I, I just kind of felt like there was something in this song that seemed like um, a prototype for sort of like Green Day, almost like more, um, not, not emo, but... Um, yeah, that kind of like warp tour vibe. That's even though... so funny because when I was making a note, I was like, these guys sort of sum up a time in the way that like 
they they reminded me of some 41 mm-hmm. exactly yeah and it's like it didn't it didn't even necessarily sound like a some 41 song but it just felt like it came from the same place and was like so tied to a moment like no other song on this album made me feel more like i was back then than this song this song brought me back to that time in the same way that um attempting to chew a bazooka joe reminds me of being a child like i'm not i'm not in, i'm not enjoying this but the memory's there you know the, the worst part about bazooka joes are that the jokes suck they were bad yeah <laughs> well, it's it generally like their jokes were generally like what you doing painting a fence it's like that's not paint that's ice cream or something yeah. like but uh, <laughs> I was just thinking, I really want to know who writes Bazooka Joe comics, like, desperately like did, now. Were you reading Archie comics and stuff in the 90s, too? Yeah, man. I was getting the double digests and oh, everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, do you remember, like, they would sometimes have old plot lines? Like, they would actually bring in the entire um, one that was published, like, in the 50s or 60s, and then they would just white out, like, any topical references and replace it with something more topical. So it'd be like, hey, gang, like, what you all up to tonight? And then, like, Reggie would be like, we're going to the Mariah Carey concert. (laughs) (laughs) I still don't know what I liked about Archie comics, and I loved them. I read it all the time. Like, I would beg my mom to buy them when we were in the supermarket. Like, I I had my nose buried in Archie comics. I adored them. And I never laughed. (laughs) I know. I know. The jokes were never... (laughs) I remember I remember one joke from Archie Comics, and I think it's because it might have been the only joke I ever saw in it. Okay. And it was, uh, um, Moose was at um, a, a party at Veronica's house, and everyone was dressed up nice, and a, 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 a butler came by with a tray of food, and um, Moose just took it all and shoved it all in his mouth. And, and then Veronica said, Moose, that's uncouth. And he said, oh, can I have some more uncouth, please? It's delicious. <laughs> Okay, that's good. That's that's some that's some witty Marx Brothers shit right there. That is a that is a joke. That is <laughs> but I was also I was I was reading a lot of Calvin and Hobbes my whole childhood as well. Same, so I'm, I'm same. reading these like genius, like hilarious and wise and poetic comic, and then also Archie, and I love them both equally. I mean, you know what's it's a little bit disappointing because I remember looking back on this album and and when big shiny tunes would come up in conversation with friends uh you know we talk about how it had like some real lows uh but that first album that was a flawless album and now going back to it now it's like there's a lot of problems yeah let's uh let's get to these last two here (laughs) okay so we've got paste by pluto which i have no thoughts about i'm fine to just (laughs) move on honestly this like this is this is one of the most skippable halves of his One album. minute. You, you, yeah. you, can't, you can't just... You can't just... This, this band existed, Chris. <laughs> I, got, I, I got nothing. It left no impression on me. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you what the chorus sounds like. Uh, I couldn't tell you a single note from it, even though I've listened to it three times in the last two days. None of this song stands out to me. I, I honestly feel like, like I would love to talk to some people who were in Canadian bands when this album came out. Because so far, the Canadian bands are Sloan, which we both like. Then there's Limblifter, The Killjoys, Pluto, and Moist. Yeah. And you got to be like, there must have been some bands being like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you mean like you think um, there are other bands that were vying for the spot? Yeah, guaranteed. And got shafted? Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of bitching and backstabbing going on when this, when yeah. this came out. Yeah, I mean, Van- Vancouver, it's just like, 
if you're making money there, uh, you're not going to become a musician. You're going to, uh, just take time off and, uh, I don't know, have sex with your partner at rec beach or something. Oh God. I hope no one does that. Rec (laughs) beach is so gross. Um, all right, let's, let's move on to the next song. I think that this song, this is Novocaine by Beck. And I think that the, the, how interesting this song is and how different from everything else on the album is the only reason they got away with having the last three songs on the album. That's why they packed those three together. These sort of like Poe, Killjoys, Pluto, these sort of boring nothing songs. And then they were like, don't worry, wait it out. We've got Beck coming. And so you sort of sit through it and you go, okay, fine. I mean, you, you could look at it that way, but you could also look at the entire state of the Canadian music aesthetic at this time as being like, yep, we're going to put I Mother Earth as the first song and Beck yeah. is the last one. <laughs> because this, this honestly, uh, as much as, you know, um, Beck is pretty nineties as much as like yeah. you could accuse him as, uh, of cultural appropriation. Like, I, I honestly think that this is the best song on the record. So, yeah. Yeah. uh, you know, you could also take the attitude that big shiny tunes save the best for last, but this song is just so goddamn demented. Odalie's Odalie's just this crazy messed up collage masterpiece. Um, some of the weirdest samples I've ever heard, like in, uh, any song, but um, I, I I always forgot how <laughs> great the last minute and a half of the song was. I hadn't heard it for a few years, yeah. but it's just like it keeps always going in back back into that sort of rock out part of like Novocaine, don't don't, and then and towards the end it just gets so demented. It sounds like you're in uh, the brain of a android that's uh, like douse itself in water to commit suicide like it's just like the song gets so messed up like actually Uh, this is the most messed up and interesting song on the entire record yeah Um, definitely and uh and it was cool that the rest of the big uh shiny tunes compilation um continue with that trend of showcasing um experimental and uh This is no, I, I honestly think because so I, I stand by my and we're going to have to find this out. I'm going to find someone who is involved in the making of Big Shiny Tunes. If you were involved in the making of Big Shiny Tunes, please talk to us um, because I picture like a dictator who just said, these are the bands and that's it. And he had to throw this in. If your only uh, point in creating this compilation was to make money, that's fine, too. I We still want to talk to you. Yeah, we're just curious about the whole lead up to this, this how did it happen, whose idea was it, who chose these songs, because it clearly, for every single album after this, it was mostly decided by charts, but who picked this album? This is a bunch of crazy stuff. None of them are the singles off the album, except for Machine Head and I'm Mother Earth. Yeah, and and it's it's particularly weird, too, because, um, yeah, like, uh, some of these songs did have music videos, but a lot of them did didn't but by april 24th 1997 uh this album went three times platinum which means 300,000 units yeah. uh within canada which is yeah. kind of crazy right because i mean I, like i don't i don't think this had any traction in the states yet this no no one's heard of it outside of canada yeah and and um you know like part of the appeal i think of um like if you just actually go and like take acid and stare at the cover of like 
actually do it because I think the whole aesthetic is revealed in the cover of this, which is like, you need to see this in front of your face, but it's, it's somebody bothered to make a kind of like, um, urban looking like graffiti esque tag of like big shiny tunes, uh, in, uh, black stencil over top of like a yellow. Uh, yeah. Sort of a beat up concrete. And then right in the fucking, like not, not even like artfully placed. It's, yeah. It's just the much music brand. It's so like, poorly right, placed. It's so bad. <laughs> well, and it's got that, like, it's got that sort of post grunge, really tidy version of a mess. Like, it looks like it's supposed to be cracked and scratched, but everything's done artfully and is very sort of, like, done on purpose. But then also, just casually, logo, don't forget, we're right here. Much like that Poe song I was talking about, it looks like somebody fucked up on their Photoshop job and just rolled with it. Because who, who gives a shit? Like, it's, it's, it's such this, a this, horrible cover. This is pre-Photoshop. This probably wasn't done on a computer. This was probably typeset. This was like, Oh my god, you're right. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, yeah, a, an interesting uh, first entry into a very, very, very long um, <laughs> compilation yeah. series. Yeah, so I think I think I think I think we did a good job. I think we hit a lot of stuff. We, there was Bazooka Joe. There was uh, yeah. I think uh, I think it's done. I think we did it. That's uh, <laughs> uh, we covered all the songs. There was a bunch of a bunch of tangents, which I'm very happy about. That's all I wanted out of this. Um, we're gonna be back. Uh, with the next episode next week uh, for Big Shiny Tunes 2. We're going to make our way through all the all the albums, including the 80s and 90s compilations, which, ooh, those are yeah. double discs. So some, some songs that I'm looking forward to hearing what you think about on the next one are Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. Great. Um, the best song about smoking um, meth that has ever existed, I think. But there aren't that many songs about meth because they are busy. Um, <laughs> I'm curious about your take on the beautiful people by Marilyn Manson because you hated the last one so much. And, uh, we will get all oh, tea party. I can't wait to hear what you think about the tea party. We'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that in the next episode. So, um, if you enjoyed the podcast, thank you. Thank you so much for listening, by the way. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please, uh, rate it and subscribe on whatever you're listening to. Uh, feel free to leave comments. If you have any questions or you disagree with us about any of our opinions on the music, Come at us. If you're somebody that played in one of these bands, we would love to have you on uh, the podcast. Too. We would love nothing more than to hear from a band, particularly a Canadian band, but any band that was on any of the big shiny tunes. Um, if you feel like we were too mean to you on this, let us know. If you just want to talk about the process, we'd love to hear from you. Any any part of, of talking to a band that was on big shiny tunes would make my day. At one point, your music meant a lot to me. It was when this album came out, I loved every single song on it. I thought it was perfect up until um, a few days ago when I re-listened to it. And so please know that that is coming from love because I really did love this album. Um, we're going to be back next week with Big Shiny Tunes 2. If you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash bigshinypodcast. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we have a Twitter account. That's at bigshinytweets. We wanted Big Shiny Podcast, but some asshole with zero followers and who is following no one is sitting on that prime real estate. To be clear, we don't, we don't know if he's an asshole. We just are thinking that. He is an asshole. I don't like this guy. <laughs> he Maybe he's too busy to tweet because he's saving people's lives. He started it years ago. Free it up. <laughs> uh, so so it's at Big Shiny Tweets on Twitter. 
or uh, at Big Shiny Podcast on Instagram. We also have a Facebook uh, account. Uh, we will be releasing videos twice a week of us reacting to songs from the podcast as well as songs or songs from the Big Shiny Tunes as well as songs that didn't make it but came out that year. Uh, this week we are doing what were the songs that we did this week? Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then a couple surprises for the for the '98. So check that out. Now I have to go back to work on my State of the Union speech. And I worked on it till pretty late last night. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Ms. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. It constituted a critical lapse in judgment and a personal failure on my part for which I am solely and completely responsible. I misled people, including even my wife. <laughs>